Well, hello there. Let me ask you a question. Have you done your first deal yet? Well, if not, this episode is for you because a very special guest, his name is Craig Schumacher. You may have never heard of him before, but he's going to talk about his journey from his regular W-2 job to doing his first deal despite major obstacles and now most recently quitting his job. It's going to be one of the most popular podcast episodes ever because he just did this very, very recently. It's all still fresh in his mind. So he's going to talk about his journey. He's going to talk specifically about what prompted him to take stock of his life and to make changes, even though he was kind of already in the real estate industry for a long time and he never actually made a change. What prompted him to make that change? Because if you know that, you can do the same thing. How he overcame his fears, and there were substantially many of them. He talks about that pretty candidly on the show. He talks about his first deal and how it was kind of a nightmare and why it didn't matter to him and how it set him up for where he is today, which is quitting his job. But more importantly, what he would do differently the next time around if he could, because he didn't do the things he talks about, it would have greatly accelerated the process for him. So that sounds good. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Welcome all to the live recording of my interview with Craig Schumacher. How are you, Craig? I'm good today, Michael. Thanks for having me on. That's good. So uh, we're really excited to have you on because you've done... Yeah, your first syndicated deal that just simply closed, and this is kind of a part of the series of interviewing people who just came off uh, doing their first deal and things really happened quickly for you, and you actually were able to, to quit your job recently as well. Absolutely. I left uh, after 25 years of appraising, uh, com appraising commercial real estate with a specific focus in, in multifamily and student apartments. I, I actually put together a plan to exit the profession about four years ago or so, and, and uh, the culmination of that uh, all kind of came together here in the last couple months. And yeah. as you mentioned, we closed, I tried closed on our first true syndication uh, January 3rd. Yeah, that's amazing. And I remember you, we, you and I talked uh, just a little while ago and uh, you were, when we first talked, it was all just still in the planning phases. You had just done a small deal that was a little bit of a disaster and uh, you were in the process of doing your first indication and in the process of quitting your job. So this is, this is great. And then you wrote me this awesome document, like, you know, this narrative of what you've done and what you felt. This was a couple months ago, it looks like. And it's amazing what just a short period of weeks and months does to you. And so I just want to kind of peel back the onion a little bit as well. And kind of before we get into that, though, I, I would like to get your thoughts on so you quit your job. Yep. And just what was that like? the whole quitting your job. Was it easy? Was it hard? Like, what was it great? It, it was really scary. In, and uh, it was a long time coming. And I got to tell you, the biggest hurdle for me over the years and, and why I didn't take action before I did was solving that health insurance hurdle. I, I have uh, two of, of my three children have significant uh, health issues. Mm. And I was scared to death of putting us in a position to where we were going to be without insurance or be in a position where the insurance costs were going to be excessive and, and beyond my ability to meet. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and so it's never easy to leave your job. And uh, so health insurance was the, the major thing. Any other challenges you had mindset-wise or even financial-wise or things that where you felt was really challenging in trying to make that transition? Mindset-wise, not really. I, I, I got to tell you, I have never been more happier. 
to not have to bang out another appraisal the rest of my life. I, <laughs> I truly, truly, it's a different feeling. It's, I, I'm really, truly, deeply happy to have that in my rearview mirror. Uh, financially, it, as I mentioned, it, it took a while to enact the plan I needed. I didn't want to just jump ship. I, I needed to make sure that I had a plan and that I was in the middle of executing that plan and had some experience in executing that plan. I took action in 2016 is when we purchased our first rental property. And I had uh, one foot in each world for the last four years. So I, I Going entirely to the investment side is just awesome. I, I love every part of this, the syndication model. I, I really do. I, I get into the operational side. I get into the, the, the deal sourcing side, the um, finding the equity, finding the debt. I, I, I really love it all. That's awesome. What, what was your, I was curious, what was your last day like at work? Like what conversations did you have with your, you know, your coworkers or your, your spouse, your family? Well, I, I had the fortunate position where I was working out of a solo office. I, I was kind of a, a home, work at home kind of guy. I had an actual office, but uh, so I didn't interact with too many people in, in our company. So I had a few conversations with my managing director. He knew I was looking for a way out. So I can't really say I had a whole lot of interaction with the people. They, they keep appraisers really kind of walled off and, and hidden in a hole. Okay. So, um, <laughs> There's a Chinese wall around us. So, uh, so you said you got started in 2016. The, qu the question is, why did you get started, right? I mean, what was it that's going on in your life where you, you were scratching your head going, hey, I need a way out? Like, what, were you, what was going on at the time? I'm 50 now. I had turned 45. And for whatever reason, I did a kind of a introspective look at not only professionally, but personally where I was. And I wasn't happy with the results. When you put it out on paper and do an assessment, uh, a self-assessment, it, it was shocking to, to realize that we weren't in a position to put our three kids through college and retire by the time we were in, I figured 20 years, 65, that we were in no position whatsoever. And that what I had been doing for the last 25 years wasn't working, that, that I, a change was needed. So I started looking for a plan and real estate was kind of the natural direction I took. Um, I, having been working in that industry for the last 25 years in, on the appraisal side. And, you know, I, I have found that my skill set from that part of my career has flowed very well into the uh, investment side. So if you guys are watching this on on Facebook right now, I type in the, the comments, kind of what situation you're in right now that precipitates some kind of change. So why, why is it you want to make a change? If you're watching this on YouTube, same thing in the comments. And if you want to hear this on the on the go, go to iTunes and download the podcast as well. So that's interesting, Craig. So you, you were like, I don't have the financial security that I'm looking for. And you said, hey, real estate is the way to go. So what was your strategy at the time? Like, what was your plan? And how did that plan then evolve a little bit? Sure. Well, what I had, I had specialized in multifamily in appraising for, I had worked at CBRE for 14 years and Cushman and Wakefield for the seven years prior to that. And so I was going around the, the country doing, I had developed a specialty in multifamily and, and an even more specialty in, in student apartments. So I was going across the country uh, doing that. And so the natural thought was rental housing, okay? 
And I started reading every book possible. I started listening to hundreds of podcasts, and I still do. I, I listen to podcasts all day long. I read book after book after book, and that's how I ran across yourself. And, and of course, I ran across Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And reading that really changed the paradigm, as it does for many entrepreneurs and, and investors. So I knew before I even started that I wanted the scale of multifamily. I understood that concept. I had a front row seat to watching people over the years make fortunes doing this. So, But I, I didn't think I could jump right in at such a big scale. So I bought a condo. I partnered with my dad. And we, we put the cash together to buy a condo. And the idea in that is I, I was focused on university markets because of my student housing background. And what we noticed was a need for housing for the people who worked at the universities, not necessarily the students. All the focus in these markets are on the students and building product for that. But the uh, staff, they are typically on a five to seven year contract, so they don't want to commit to buying. And at the time, there was still some inventory of condos left over from the recession that we were able to get at good pricing. And we ended up purchasing uh, five total condos and converted them to rental housing. And along that path, that took about a year, maybe 14 months to, to put that together. And we, we also acquired two duplexes along the way. So that's, that's how I started. And you know that's uh, that's not uncommon, right? Uh, a, a lot of people thinking, "Oh my gosh, I need to get." I, I don't see myself working another twenty years. Ah, I've heard of real estate. They read Rich Dad Poor Dad. We're gonna do we're gonna do real estate, and most people gravitate exactly the way you know, you've done it. You know, I gravitated towards flipping houses until I discovered the insanity of it, and then the, <laughs> the idea of you know having a portfolio of fifty rental houses that was also insane for me. And so like so many people, you've gravitated towards a single family houses. And, and at what point and why did you say, hmm, maybe multifamily is kind of where I should be going? Well, as I stated, I, I knew I wanted to get into multifamily. I just felt that there were hurdles with experience and being able to have that kind of conversation with the banks that is necessary. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get some landlording experience under my belt first. Uh, so that's that's why I did it. Yeah, that makes uh, makes perfect sense. So how did you transition then into multifamily? What did that look like? Well, we packaged up the five uh, single family rentals. Uh, they were all condominiums and the two duplexes. And knowing the appetite for, at the time, for student, anything related student apartments, I packaged it up, uh, called it the university rental portfolio and best $279 I ever spent on CoStar posted an ad or a brochure on there, put together a little ad. We got oh, 17,500 hits on that. And I ended up selling it within a two week period to a gentleman out of California. We took the funds from that and we bought our very first multifamily property. Nice. Along the way, that, that portfolio was just myself and my father, okay? When we sold the portfolio, and transitioned into the first multifamily property that we did, which was a 28-unit apartment complex, conventional, in a university market, we brought on one partner. It was a friend of ours who owns a chain of restaurants and bars. And I got to tell you, that first, I, I, there were a lot of lessons learned on that first purchase. Uh, it, it wasn't a disaster, like you said. We, we, it's still going along fine, but it certainly didn't work out the way I had thought. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, my similar, okay. mine, mine was similar. I, I would say, 
you know, if it, cause if it works out well, it's not quite a nightmare, but if it didn't work out, it would be. So in this case, it probably started off as a little bit of a nightmare. So what, <laughs> what went, tell us a little bit about this first deal and what went wrong. It did. What I could have done differently and what I should have done differently is the deeper level of due diligence. I was very excited to buy the first one. It was so apparent with hindsight what, what I should have caught here. Specifically in the leases, the seller had disclaimers in the leases about the unit sometimes having leakage or water leakage in the units. And we knew that the roofs needed to be replaced. And I made the assumption that the leakage was caused by the roofs. So we knew that and I was like, okay, didn't look deeper into it. And after we bought the property, we found out it was actually a combination of roof leakage and foundational issues, which you know, foundation can be a nightmare. And so when we found that out, we haven't taken any money out of the property yet. We've continued to put money, any, any dollars that it's kicking off, we're putting right back in. I came out of pocket personally, $20,000 to address the issue. I felt it was my mistake. We still own the property, it's servicing the debt, and we think it's gonna positively cash flow this year, but we've owned that guy for now almost 20 months, actually 22, 23 months. So it's been a rough going. And I also self-managed that one, and boy, did I get all the the midnight phone calls, the calls from the city, uh, everything you can imagine, everything people write about, it happened. (laughs) Yeah. No, on the other hand, so I mean, that's not so attractive. But on the other hand, now, because you, you self-managed, you now know property management and you can probably, and you're in a better position to, to manage property managers as well. What are some of your key lessons learned from that purchase? The due diligence. Mm. Got to do to the due diligence and go deeper than you really think you need to. I also, on that particular property, I focused on the, the site-specific characteristics it was on a corner site. It's on a street that had 30,000 cars a day going by it. Nice big shopping center across the street. Uh, State Farm headquarters about a half mile away. I, I was looking at those things and I didn't look deep enough into the other apartment complexes surrounding the property and yeah. taking a look at how well they were maintained, what kind of tenant bases those had, because obviously, you know, your next door neighbor is going to have an influence on you. That's something I definitely will take forward. Yeah, that's a, that's a great lesson uh, for you guys watching this on Facebook. What is a lesson that you had from a, a previous real estate deal or if you're on YouTube as well? What kind of lesson have you learned from from some of your deals? And so clearly, you know, sometimes when we get into this situation, Craig, we would probably not do that deal again. And I think the same thing would go for my first deal. But nevertheless, without that first deal, I wouldn't be where I am today. And how do you feel about uh, that first deal, the importance of that? Personally, I love that property. I, it, would all, it would always have a special place in my heart. And uh, from a portfolio, from a bigger perspective, portfolio wise, it does fit into where uh, it does have a place mm-hmm. in, in that portfolio. Would I do that deal again? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> and so it goes, right? But this is this is, puts us in a position we are today. And, and even the deals that we did even a year ago, we probably wouldn't do today. And it's just, it's just you know, it, it evolves over, over time until you build up a particular track record and a niche and you really start doing a cookie cutter. And, you know, sometimes this takes two or three years to get to that point. So you struggled a little bit with that deal. It sounds to me like the ship is riding and it'll eventually be okay and you'll probably make a profit on it once you do sell it. What kind of deal did you do after that? We, at the, about the same time, about three months later, simultaneously to purchasing that first one, we were also in negotiations for a, an apartment count, 29 unit of complex right next to the campus of Illinois State University. 
And what I really loved about that property was it was owned by a family that it was the result of a divorce. And the person who owned it was living in the property and also their family members were living in it. And there were a number of couples and non-students living in it. I would say less than 50% of the tenant base was students. And being so close to campus, I loved that deal because I had kind of an uneducated seller who wasn't operating the property at maximum uh, capacity. And also, they, I don't think they understood the highest and best use of the property. So we bought that in April of 2018, 29 units. 11 studios and the remainder 18 one-bedroom units. And the one-bedroom units were so large. And one of the things I noticed was it was a bunch of couples living in these one-bedroom units. The units were large enough, but they're only paying one rent. So it was it set up perfectly to convert it to student apartments where we were going to charge per head or per bed. So we took, and another thing developed as well. The day we closed, I got about four or five phone calls that day and the day after from sororities and fraternities. And they mentioned that we had beat them to the property and that the seller wasn't taking them seriously. Thank you, seller, because they were a bunch of kids. And the, and I, I came to realize the reason we were getting these phone calls, not only does the property physically set up really well for a, a Greek tenancy, but the property had fire sprinklers. And way back in 2011, 2010, the state of Illinois had passed an, uh, a statute stating that any Greek organization living under one roof had to live in a, a facility with fire sprinklers. And they gave it a seven-year grace period. Well, the seven-year grace period was coming to an end January of 2019, and we were buying the property in April of 2018. So I had the thought, wow, we're, you know, this is a direction for the property I never imagined. However, we could put about 43 to 49 kids in this thing and charge them about 580 ahead. And what was the going rent at the time for the for the single going tenant? rent at the I'll go gross per month. When we bought it, it was about 16,500, 17,000 a month. We took it to 25,000 oh, a month. I love that. And we we it was fantastic. 18 months, I'll get to the end of the story. 18 months later in November, 2019, we just did a cash out refi. We bought it for 1.3 million. We got a valuation of 2,350,000 on it. I pulled out 425 and was able to return 100% of the investor's cash. That is amazing. It was a fantastic deal. It, was a, it really was, uh, and it's gonna cash flow probably about 100 grand a year. And all our money's off the table now. Makes up we, for the makes up for the previous one. It certainly does. It, it it takes the bite out of that one a little bit, and uh, so we're extremely happy with that. Uh, meanwhile, also we we are in the process of we have under contract another twenty eight unit. This one's a conventional apartment complex. This one's just my my dad and I, no outside investors. That's expected to close the first phase in probably February and the second in April. And then, as I mentioned at the beginning, we, we just finished the, my first true syndication, and that was student apartments. That's fantastic. And that just recently closed. Yes, it did. January 3rd. Now, you made an interesting comment uh, where the seller did not take a bunch of these kids seriously because apparently they want to buy this building. Now, yep. you know, it's not like you, you had uh, decades of uh, experience yourself. In fact, you hadn't even closed on your first deal yet. Why do you think that the seller was taking you seriously and not, not the uh, other potential buyers? Well, we, we had closed on the first deal. Oh, had you? Okay. Yes. Oh, that makes a big difference. 
Yes, it does. And so we did have some credibility out there. And we I was working with a local broker who knew that we had closed on the first. And she also knew about the portfolio that we had sold of, of single family rentals. So she knew we had a little bit of a track record. And I'm sure that made a huge difference. I mean, had you not closed that deal, it, maybe you wouldn't have gotten that one. Maybe you would. Yeah. No, I, I, that's fair comment. Fair statement. Uh, but rewinding even back further, that first deal you did get, you must have convinced the broker or the seller that you were someone who can close even though you hadn't closed a, a deal before. How, how do you think you did that? Probably the portfolio that we sold. Yeah. It brought some credibility. Um, and by then I was working with a couple banks. So we had the pre-qualification letter that we brought to the broker and said, here, we, you know, we're legitimate buyers and it worked out. You also educate yourself. So it's not like you were a bumbling idiot using, you know, <laughs> I mean, you had, you had a baseline education and you knew how to analyze deals. You knew, you knew stuff, right? So when you talk to people, it sounded like you kind of knew what you're talking about. Absolutely. I, I would say that the, uh, the decades of experience on, on the appraisal side also helped with being fluent and, and being able to talk the talk. We talked about a little while ago about some of the challenges that you had uh, mindset-wise earlier on. What, what are some of the, and some of those things may have evolved and changed now that you've closed a few deals, but think back, you know, even maybe before you'd close that first deal or, or right after, what were some of the mental hang-ups, challenges that you were dealing with? Fear. Absolutely fear of taking the big shot. And if I could go back in time and tell myself, give myself some advice, what it would be is take the chance. You have one life. In my case, I'm almost, I'm over half over with it. Take the shot. Mm. Take your chance. Don't do it haphazardly. Have a plan. Okay. Do it strategically. Think strategically. Take actions that are all all these uh, little bit of actions that are all surrounding this overall larger goal. And I had plenty of ideas over the years. Again, I had a front row seat to watching people make uh, uh, fortunes in real estate. And, and I sat by and, and just helped them do that. But it never did anything for me. And I spent all this time working. And, and I, man, I used to work 12, 13, 14 hour days, six, seven days a week to bang out appraisals and to make a living. And to do all that effort for someone else, man, I, I would go back and tell my younger self to go ahead and take the shot. There's always going to be hurdles. There's always going to be fear. I, I call it calculated courage now. Okay. I like that. I like calculated courage. Now, you've been doing this for quite a while and you strike me as a pretty smart guy. You know, why didn't you make a change earlier? Why, why 2016 and not 2000, whatever, you know, five? Fear. And, and the uh, concern over the health care. Yeah. And I wasn't, uh, I, I was more focused on my, my children, two of the three, have significant, significant health issues. And my focus was almost all on that. And I really wasn't in the mindset of, hey, how do I make myself better? How, how do I expand? And, and how do I grow? I, I was very myopically uh, focused on them and getting through those hurdles and and life was challenging. So it's so, interesting that you say that, but I don't I don't think that changed in, in terms of them. I mean, you still want to help yeah. them, right? So, but what I mean, what changed internally? We say, hey, I got to do this versus just coasting along. That self assessment I did mm. when I put it on paper, it, it was shocking. It, it was jarring to see we couldn't last three more years. Why did you do uh, that self assessment, Craig? That's a good question. I'm not quite sure. 
I, I can't remember what the impetus was to doing that other than maybe my life had settled down a little bit. Both kids had, had you know, they still have the challenges. They, they weren't cured or anything like that, but we fell into a rhythm with them that, that was a little bit safer, I guess. Um, I don't know. That's that's a good question. You, I'm not sure I can answer. How did you do it? Did you take some time off? Did you get up earlier in the morning? How did you involve your spouse? Uh, talk to talk to me about that. That self, how that worked. Involve the spouse. I, no, I was um, man, literally 14 hour days. That's how I did it. I just started dedicating a certain amount of time each day towards the investment side. Every moment, every free moment I had, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm reading the books. Uh, even what, you know, I'm writing appraisal. I got two computers here. I'm writing an appraisal over here on one side, listening to podcasts on the other. I did them both for, I was miserable doing both. I got to tell you that. that. That was a very difficult four years. And, and it contributes to how happy I am and how free I feel now to just be pursuing what I love. I love that. I love that. So there's a lot of fear, a lot of comfort going on. What, what else did you, were you struggling with what, that you felt you needed help with? Well, I wasn't sure as, as far as towards the syndication, yeah. the syndication model, I was extremely nervous about going and trying to raise capital. I know the analytical side, the operational side I have all set up. I've got the relationships for the off-market deals, for deal sourcing. Finding the equity was a huge fear. I, I, I was, man, sitting across the table from somebody and asking to, to hand over their hard-earned cash. That's a tough conversation. That is a tough conversation. How did you overcome that? I just did it. I went at it. I Of course, I consulted. I read as much as I could about how to do it. I talked to people. And I started with the low-hanging fruit friends, family, friends of friends, and got better at it as I did it. Yeah. And that's just the way to do it. I think, what do you say to people that say, hey, I, I'm really not comfortable taking money from friends and family? I say, that's good. You should be uncomfortable taking money from friends and family, but that shouldn't stop you. Okay. That's a healthy fear. Uh, as long as you don't let that fear stop you from taking action, that's great. I, 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 I hopefully I'll never lose that fear. No, it's so it's so true. I just I just love it. You know, you sometimes you just got to do it, like you said, and and just by doing it once, it just expands your comfort zone in, in incredible ways. Just by doing it, it did. It got easier going through the process. Absolutely. When I had the first true outside investor come in and sit in my office, I I, I was all in knots. I, I was scared to death. But as soon as I started talking, and and you know, I love it. That transfer that was apparent that I was really into it and I had answers. If you love what you're doing, that shows through. And, and that I think that gave them a sense of comfort. And as soon as you got that first one done, the others got easier and easier and easier. What do you feel like you, uh, you need help with now at this, this stage where, you, where you're now? Getting out there, getting myself out there and getting more at my network right now is, it's a very valuable network because it's within the real estate industry itself. I know a ton of other appraisers. I know a ton of brokers. I know a ton of property managers. I have those relationships. But as I said earlier in the conversation, they keep appraisers kind of walled off from everybody else. So I, I don't have a lot of social uh, connections. I work in 14-hour days. How do you get them? Uh, you know, so that to me is getting the word out and getting myself out there is probably my primary challenge right now. Yeah. And letting them know how, what great product we have and how great we are on the operational side. 
I just wish I could get in front of as many people as possible and talk about this because it really is uh, just an absolute, I got a rock star team set up and I just want to kind of shout it to the world type of thing, you know? That's great. So what is, what is your current plan to get the word out? Well, talking to yourself, uh, going to a couple conferences coming up this year and that's about it right now. Real estate investment groups, uh, discussion groups, that kind of thing. Uh, LinkedIn, social media platforms, getting familiar with those. I, I had always avoided those. I, I still don't. I'm not sure. I, I enlisted the help of my wife's sister to help me with some of the tech side and social media management because I had no clue how to get on Facebook or anything like that. And she's been helping me with that. And I write articles. I put out content. Just started that a few months ago. So I'm in the very early stages of trying to figure it out and put together everything that I've read and, and watched and heard on how to do that. Yeah, I, I love this, Craig, because you're at, you know, in, in phase two of the of the syndication process. You've already done a few deals, you've raised a little bit of money. And now, you know, you got the bug, you know how it works, and now your biggest problem is scale, right? Just uh just getting the word out. And I think you mentioned it. Uh, it's it's not so much that you're raising money; you're sharing your enthusiasm with other people. So when you're talking to people, or you're putting out content, you're sharing how excited you are about this asset class. And I think that's a that's a great way to go about it. But I love that, right? Just you know, a year ago, yeah. you're, you're you're even before you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I could do my first deal or raise my first whatever five hundred thousand dollars. And you're like, hmm, now how do I raise five million dollars? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's that is the problem right now, and that's very close to the number that what you just said. <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, if you build a platform uh, like you're describing and uh, within, I think, just in studying people, it is very reasonable that with a platform built, you can 10x your current capital raise in no more than 18 months, right? So if you've raised $500,000 now, within 12 to 18 months, you are now capable of raising $5 million. And there's no question in my mind that you're going to get there. You might be scratching your head going like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. And there's some tech challenges there and you got to do some writing and put out some videos. But I'm telling you that once you put it in place, it's going to be amazing because it allows you to attract investors and people you've never met before. And they feel like they get to know and trust you. And then all of a sudden, they start investing with you. And it's a magical thing. It really is amazing. And, and this online platform that we have allows us to build relationships with people, really build trust with people in a way we could never have before. And I, I share your excitement about this asset class as well, because it is so much better than any other investment in the world. And everyone who invests in the stock market really needs to know about that stuff. So I think boiling it down to sharing your enthusiasm with people, if you just do that and you're so excited about that, you're just going to attract people who say, oh, that's really interesting, Craig. Tell me more. So it's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I got to tell you, I could talk about it all day long. It's interesting you said that several of the uh, first investors in the true, true syndication we did their first comments were they're too heavy in the equities. They're too heavy in, in the market. And that when I showed up with this opportunity, they, they jumped. They really did. They couldn't wait. They, and these are relatively sophisticated, uh, savvy investors. So that's, that gave me a little more confidence that the product that we had here was, was really something that, that, that the market wants, that it desires. Well, and that's a good point. A lot of people say, look, I don't want to bug people. I don't want to beg them for money. When in fact, it's the exact opposite uh, around is you're doing a disservice to people if you don't tell them about this opportunity because there's so many people 
like you said, or invest in a stock market and they're scratching their head going, man, I need something else. This cannot be the end all be all in investing. Something is fundamentally broken with the stock market and they feel that, but yep. they have no plan B. So if you come and say, hey, I got a plan B for you, like you do, what is it? Like they're leaning in, you know, they can't wait to talk to you. And so you know, think about it in a way that you are withholding, the holding this opportunity is actually doing them a disservice. And so I, I totally agree with you about that. And yeah, thank you for, for sharing that because it's, it's so true. So let's say you know, I'd like to see kind of what your parting advice is to people who are trying to do what you've done, right? There's a lot of people who are like, they want a way out and they're probably thinking real estate and maybe they're thinking multifamily or maybe they're not, but you're having, you know, coffee with a with someone like that, maybe at your old firm and someone else. What advice do you give them to help them follow in your footsteps? Find someone that's doing what you want to do and do what they do. That's one thing I didn't know. And, and man, it's so much about relationships and, you know, the, that old saying, your net worth is in your network. That's something I just didn't know. I'm now just internalizing that. And so if I had to do something a little bit differently going backwards, I would try to partner. Okay. I, I would try to find somebody doing what I wanted to do and somehow, some way, figure out a way to add value to them and approach them with that proposition. And I'd also tell somebody trying to get in, do it. You got to take action. You, you must take the action. Your ideas will evolve to reality if you follow, uh, if, if you add some action to it. Love it. Craig, how can people connect with you? Please go to the website at irbcapitalllc.com. You'll find my email on there. You'll find my phone number on there. Also, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's great. Craig, I want to thank you for coming on the show today because you've done your deals just in the most recent past. I th I'm really hoping that people will connect with you and be inspired by your story and following your footsteps. So thanks so much for being on the show today. It was a privilege and honor. Thank you. And please do reach out. I'd be happy to talk to you. Thanks, Michael. All right. So a key nuggets that stuck out for me and maybe for you as well. And one of them is Craig had a bunch of fears. And everyone's got a bunch of fears. And here's the thing is, everyone's got fears, whether you're me, you, or someone else. The only difference is how do you deal with them? And for many years, Craig really never dealt with it. He just coasted along doing what he's always done, making a bunch of money for real estate owners. And several lessons for me is, for some reason, and I think he called it a midlife crisis, he took stock of where his life was. And this wakes up, and sometimes it could be a health scare, or maybe someone even passes away, or there's a health issue, or something, or midlife crisis, whatever case, but some, something happens where you kind of assess yourself, and you say, hey, I can't continue on this path for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And that's what he did as well. Most people actually start changing their life when they do that. Therefore, why wait for some kind of health event or something that happens to you? Why not be more proactive? Take a day off, take a week off, take a weekend off alone or with your spouse and really sit down and assess your life and where you're going. Uh, in fact, I just recently attended the Real Estate Guys Create Your Future retreat in Lake Las Vegas. I, I should take, I've taken my wife there. It's the second time we've gone there. And it was fantastic because it forces you for two full days to take stock of your life and set goals, not just professionally, financially, but in your entire life, relationship, health-wise. It's a very powerful exercise that I normally do this towards the end of the year, typically in a week between Christmas and New Year's, and then going into the, the new year. So this is really, really important. Don't wait until something bad, some trauma happens to you to do that. So that's number one. Number two, how do you overcome fears? 
And I love the way Craig talks about it. He says, just do it. You know, the Nike, you know, quote is just do it because action really overcomes your fears. Just doing it, even though you don't have everything figured out, action really overcomes a lot of fears. And that's really what he realized. And that's the way I've done it for many years as well. And I didn't figure this out, by the way. I wasn't born with this. I figured I was probably in my early 30s until I figured this whole thing out when I just started doing stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, it didn't kill me. And I didn't have anything figured out and I'm still alive. And that's the lesson for you as well is just do it. The other one is, you know, really share your excitement uh, with potential investors because it's not about raising money. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. It's not about raising money so much. It's really about sharing your enthusiasm. You know, hey, Frank, you're not going to believe it. I'm getting into this apartment buildings and I'm so excited about it. It's so much better than the stock market. And they'll be like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. I mean, you get cash flow. You don't get that from stock market. You get actually get higher returns and you pay a lot less taxes. And someone who's a stock market investor will kind of go, really? Tell me more. And now they're asking you questions. You don't need to sell them on anything. You just share your enthusiasm. And so I, like Craig, I'm really excited about this asset class. Uh, The more I get into it, the more excited I am about it. And so if you're listening to this and you're a stock market investor, you're kind of scratching your head going, holy moly, is there anything else? The answer is yes. And the answer is multifamily syndications. Now, if you're super, super new to this stuff and you want to know the difference between stock market and real estate, and you're might kind of curious, well, what's which one's better? I have a special report you can download. It's relatively new at themichaelblank.com forward slash report. It's basically analysis of stock market versus real estate investing. What's better? All right. And it's kind of a heavy numbers thing because investing is a numbers thing. And so you might find that interesting. If you're ready to get going, you're interested in finding out more about our investments. My investment firm is called Nighthawk Equity. And you can find out more by going to nighthawkequity.com. And if you're interested in investing with us, just click the join button. And I'll set up a call to talk with our team. We'll get to know each other little bit as well. So again, super excited about investing in multifamily. Um, The fourth thing that he talked about is what would he do differently and better if he had a chance and he did not do this at all is he realized that his net worth is equal to his network and he didn't have a lot. And now he's working on that. He can see this kind of a weakness, but had he done it again, he would have tried to mentor with someone who has done this before. And that was my main my main mistake that I made when I got in the restaurants. This was even before the real estate stuff is I never had a mentor that showed me the ropes. I did have a mentor for flipping houses though, and that was super super important. And the rest of the stuff I kind of I kind of learned on my own. And I do think that, you know, with enough hustle you can learn anything on your own and you can overcome mistakes just by sheer of will of force of will, and I think that's fine, but I do agree with him. If I look at the people who sign up in our mentoring program, they just avoid the big mistakes and they accelerate their their progress so much faster. So the speed and the size of the deals that you can do with someone who's a full-time apartment investor is amazing. Again, it it does require an investment in yourself and not everyone is in the position to do that. But if you are, it could be the best investment you make. Uh, If you're interested in in finding more about our mentoring program, uh, go to themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. And again, you can set up a strategy session with us to see if mentoring is right. And if it was not right, you're still going to get some guidance about some next steps that you can do as well. And the other thing is partnering. So mentoring will accelerate your progress as well as partnering, right? So we talked about this before. Multifamily investing is not a lone wolf sport. It's a team sport. And he, you know, Craig was kind of a lone wolf a little bit until he figured out, oh my gosh, I really need a team. And if I have that, I can do a lot more. And this is so true. So, you know, really work on expanding your network. Find someone that he said add value to, an experienced operator. 
Um, if you'd like to help us find deals, uh, you can find out more at themichaelblank.com forward slash partner about our partner program as well. We've got we've done now over 10 deals in this way for people who brought us deals. And uh, we partnered with them and made them a general partner in the deal. And they've gone on. A lot of them have already quit their jobs, just like every first deal does. So check that out as well. And really, really consider partnering. So anyway, hope you guys found that super interesting. It's something that uh, Craig did literally in 2016 when he did a self-assessment. And now, you know, two and a half years later, he's quit his quit his job. And it's a powerful... And he could have done it a lot faster by his own admission had he partnered uh, properly and, and mentored. But sh- shoot, he did it himself two and a half years. Good for him. And we talk a lot about financial freedom in three to five years. The truth is hardly anyone takes that long. It's like this dirty little secret. Most people take one to two years and they're done. And that's not... And that's not from doing their first deal. That's from the moment you decide that you're going to do multifamily. From that moment, let one or two years go by. It's so powerful. Again, this is why I'm so excited about multifamily investing for active investors in the same way I'm, I'm excited for passive investors. So I hope you guys were really inspired by Craig's story today. Now, go out there and just do it, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.